not only is running a company really difficult when you're a woman and a person person of color, but getting to the point where you're in the position to run a company mm-hmm. also presents challenges. Welcome to We Are DeFree's Perspectives. We have a lot of responsibility. We reach thousands and millions of people through the projects that we're doing. We are a creative agency maximizing the positive impact on businesses, society, and our planet. So if you currently look at all communication marketing campaigns, it's not always representing society. Radical change needs to happen now. Otherwise, brands and companies are gonna get left behind. You know, if you're a marketing manager, if you're in a senior position, you're an opportunity maker. So how can you redistribute those opportunities in an interesting way? Every week, founder Mitchell talks to visionaries and change makers who are shaking up the status quo. We create content for every living soul on this planet. Get ready to be launched into a new perspective. Quick fire questions. Ready? Ready. Wall Street or Beurs van Berlagen? What is the Dutch AEX? Oh, okay. <laughs> I've been there, but okay. Ooh, burst van Berlach. <laughs> New York or Amsterdam? Both. Pre-COVID or post-COVID life? Uh, I don't know what post-COVID life will be like yet. So let's say pre-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> this planet or the next planet? Ooh, the next planet. What is your biggest strength? Resilience. And what is something you wish you could master? Art. I wish I was a bit more creatively art artistic. Yeah. yeah. Who is your inspiration? I have a few. And uh, Kim Kardashian, Jennifer Lopez, Jessica Alba. Oh, we want to hear more about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I naturally gravitate towards their profile. So when I... Um, in a part, I know them from pop culture, but they mm-hmm. have all three become such business forces. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think when I, I just naturally am reading a lot of articles about them and I get asked this question, like, who are your role models? And then mm-hmm. I started, this always, these names always popped into my head. And I think it's because I see an element of myself, myself in them, mm-hmm. in that they're um, in a minority women, first yeah. of all, uh, and somewhat underestimated, I think, Mm -hmm. but have been managed to really have a tremendous success and uh, And and even now they're being underestimated. Yeah. Christina, (laughs) such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's so so great to be here. So exciting. How have you been? Uh, Well, great. I'm still in that adjustment period with homeschooling. Mm -hmm. So we're now in uh, week two, I think, of homeschooling in in the in the school year. So yeah, it's a bit harder this time around. But um, it's intense, I, I it so. is. Yeah. It is. But uh, but also there's if, there's a silver lining in everything. So I get to spend a little bit more time with the kiddos and yeah. Helping them to learn, so it's still. Who's learning more, you or the kids? Actually, it's a good question. (laughs) In my case, it would. I don't have kids, but it would probably be me. Yeah, but I, uh, I'm a native English speaker. Oh, yeah. My children are being raised bilingual, and they're five and seven. So um, it's I'm actually learning from them in helping them with their 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 Dutch exercises. Yeah, so I am learning. Can you introduce yourself? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, my name is Christina Collier. I'm mm-hmm. born and raised in New York City. 
Um, I am uh, an entrepreneur a couple of times over. Uh, I've lived in New York and London and now Amsterdam for a couple of years. Um, and then, yeah, the things that I've been working on most recently, uh, I founded a, co-founded a startup that's operating within the media space, looking to bring a bit more inclusivity and personalization to the video experience for shoppers online. Um, and mm-hmm. um, besides that, I'm also doing angel investing and uh, working to become more of a voice uh, and advocate for underrepresented founders uh, here in the Netherlands mm-hmm. that are looking to get funding and to launch businesses. That's so, so cool. <laughs> you do a lot of stuff, yeah. Uh, one of the things that really tips out uh, is you're, you're focusing on inclusivity, making the media space more inclusive. Yeah. It's something that we also try and do. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons I started We Are The Free after 10 years of being a freelancer was that I uh, never felt comfortable with the teams I was working in with because mm. there was not much of diversity mm. uh, in the teams. Or uh, even in if we, met, we, if we made a film or we did a photo campaign and they were talking about a successful business m- person, yeah. it would always be around 44-year-old white men, yeah. right, in the suit. It's like the typical image that, at least in Western countries, yeah. uh, they have about. Yeah. And then I would, like, say, please, can we change the, the narrative? Can we, mm. can, we, can we choose for someone else, like a person of color, or why does it need to be a male? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I always got, like, backlash with it. Mm. Um, I never felt comfortable uh, after a while in the situation I was in. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also something you're fighting for. Yeah. So I, I guess um, in this, in your case, you launched your own business to try to bring some of that inclusivity. Yeah. Um, it's 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 also surprising to me um, here in the Netherlands and also in other countries, UK or other regions, UK, mm-hmm. Germany, France, that there's a, really a lot of, um, there's a full spectrum of communities that exist and, uh, most of the media and advertising really does, at least until this point, there's sort of a sea change happening, but until this point has really catered towards a single narrative. And um, growing up in New York City and being surrounded by such diversity of thought, socioeconomic status, religion, ethnicity, um, it already opened my eyes from a really young age that there is just so many, there are so many people out there that don't necessarily look like me, think mm-hmm. like me. And I think that that's always um, shaped my worldview and made me comfortable in a lot of different, with a lot of different types mm-hmm. of people, um, but also made me a bit more aware, I guess I should say, about uh, the fact that there's not a lot of representation in a lot of the advertising that we're seeing. Um, and I found that um, a missed opportunity also, as a, a mother, female mm-hmm. expat uh, of woman of color mm-hmm. living in uh, in Europe, that um, knowing what the capabilities of technology, especially on social platforms like YouTube and Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. they know so much information about us that there also could be a way to subtly imbue the advertising to be more reflective mm-hmm. of, of my lifestyle, whether that's as a family, being with a family or... Um, you know, a, a professional that's also, uh, you know, working with, with children around um, or if it's for another person, uh, you know, living in, um, having friends that look different than them or a gay couple. Mm-hmm. Just that's what I grew up with. Yeah. And the fact that I don't see that um, in advertising. It's strange, isn't strange. it? Because 
Um, you grew up in New York. I grew up in Amsterdam. Yeah. But I grew up in the subhoods of Amsterdam. Okay. So I always have been, while growing up, I've always had a really open-minded uh, vision mm. of the world because that's what my parents made me aware of. And I like, I, I think I was 10 the first time I knew that in Amsterdam we were living, uh, in, in, in the Amsterdam society we were living with 184 officially registered uh, ethnicities and cultures. It's incredible, right? What is like, back then it was like we were the number one in the world. Yeah. Like you don't see that back in uh, the mainstream in the Netherlands. No. Not at all. No, and it's interesting because I um, I think in the last year or so, I've really become more vocal about the lack of representation within technology leadership, especially from an ethnicity perspective. And um, recently have in any sort of press that I've been uh, invited to, to speak about my own experience, that's something that I, I really want to bring to the conversation. And a couple of times now I've gotten this reaction like, well, the Netherlands is not really that diverse. So is that really a problem that we need to solve for? And for me, it's sort of surprising because, well, it's very surprising. One, because I always think of the Netherlands as a pretty open and welcoming uh, country. Um, and, and beyond that, I just see that there's so many different communities, Moroccan, Turkish, Indonesian, Surinamese. Um, and I, for whatever reason, am surprised uh, that, that for whatever reason those those communities are not always considered Dutch, yeah. um, and and as a result, uh, that representation uh, is not really expected in leadership positions. Um, so that's something that I, I try to bring more uh, up to the fore, bring it to the forefront. I mean, it's starting mm -hmm. with um, on a more general level with the Svarte Piet conversations and that, and the Black Lives Matter movement moving from the States over here to Europe. Um, it's it's created a lot more of conversation around it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's more in the general population and it's not really so specific in terms of professional opportunities and certainly not in entre entrepreneurship. Um, so uh, that's where I feel there's a, a void that I can sort of fill in talking about my yeah. own experience and what I think could help the problems. Yeah. Well, I think uh, speaking out about it is really important. We have to make those voices heard. Yeah, absolutely. But then what are the challenges for women trying to, to en enact or to set up a company like that, and especially you, uh, a person of color? What are the challenges that brings extra? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I might almost broaden it in terms of just overall experience. Mm -hmm. And I... Um, Having worked in, uh, having grown up in an area that, in terms of socioeconomics, it was not. I didn't grow up from a family with a lot of wealth. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in a neighborhood that had great schooling, um, and and also at that time there were not. Um, there were even fewer role models to look to in um, mainstream culture. Um, so there, with that, it just you have to work that much harder from an early age to really think about mm -hmm. what your path is going to be and unlock opportunities for yourself. And I think as a, uh, as a uh, working in financial services and working in tech, where there is not a lot of representation of uh, from a gender perspective nor from an ethnicity perspective, mm -hmm. that just makes it feel harder in the beginning. A little bit of an extra step that you feel mm -hmm. you must go through because you don't necessarily see yourself reflected in that population. Um, so not only is running a company really difficult when you're um, a, a, a woman and a, a person, person of color, but I, uh, 
getting to the point where you're in the position to run a company mm-hmm. also presents challenges. Um, so I, I think that's what I always try to synthesize in terms of sort of best practices and tips for people. I just remember at a really early age, mm-hmm. I was very lucky because my mom is one of those tiger moms who always realized the importance of education and realized that you're not bound by uh, bound by your own, you're not defined by the boundaries that mm-hmm. exist for you at that moment, um, that you can create your own future. I really like that. It's yeah. It's it, I. I don't. I'm not sure if it was ever said to me in so many words, but the actions that she took mm-hmm. created that mindset for me. So um, even from elementary school age, which is six years old, I was taking exams that would eventually allow me to have a privately funded education, um, and that's something that I was able to benefit that I was benefiting from from the age of six until 12, and then from there, there's these specialized high schools that Mm -hmm. you can test into. I was able to get a great high school education as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And then for my undergrad and my business school, I was able to get full tuition and grant scholarships to fund my education. So instead of having to pay Mm $100,000 for an education, which I couldn't afford at the time, Mm -hmm. through doing some research, figuring out ways to tap into what could be seen as a sort of, not weakness, but uh, a challenging uh, situation. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, being a, an underrepresented minority, there are also ways to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Looking for programs that are trying to support those sorts of mm-hmm. profiles. Um, you're also able to uh, stand out a lot more if you can build up the confidence to go up to people and just introduce yourself mm-hmm. and try to find commonalities and common grounds and mentors. And um, that's something that was instilled in me from a really early age that has helped me throughout my career and now, especially as an entrepreneur. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> You're focal about obstacles for venture capital for, for women. How can we incentivize change? Yes, so this is something that I've, I've thought a lot about very recently. Um, uh, I think the great thing in the Netherlands is that there's this shift in mindset that there is a problem that needs to be addressed in terms of underfunding of female founders. Um, so there's a couple of initiatives. Uh, one was uh, is Fundright, which was a pledge by uh, 15 or 20 VCs or so last year that they will uh, allocate a certain amount of funds, uh, a certain percentage of their for- portfolio will be uh, in female-led companies by a certain, I think, three years. Um, so, uh, and there's a there's a couple of folks, uh, venture capitalists here in the Netherlands, who are vocal about this as a topic. Um, and I think that's really important first to bring a lot of visibility and acknowledgement uh, to this as an issue. Um, they're also not seemingly convinced on the performance that what we see in a lot of research, uh, female-led companies generally perform better and can work more with less. Um, and and those, those two really strong, in my mind, reasons to do the extra work and invest in um, these underrepresented founders is just not convincing enough. Um, for for most of the investors, so I, I what I see working in other regions is economic incentives that try to stimulate a certain area of growth. Um, so in the UK, you have uh, investments in innovation. In the Netherlands, we also have certain funds that are do- uh, that are um, that you can sort of co fund alongside the government mm-hmm. to in high growth companies. 
Um, so there's an economic incentive. One, if it's a, a co-investment, then there's sort of high, re- increasing the return on their investment because there's more funds going in. They have to give less money to the startup, and it's matched by the government. Um, another way is to have tax breaks, um, certain programs that will give tax breaks if you invest in a certain high-growth company. So that's a lot of great reasons that align with the lowering risk and increasing return on investment, which mm-hmm. are the priorities of VCs. If we can take something like that to uh, a more of a, a diversity initiative, so meaning having some of these uh, funds and programs focus on uh, matching funds of investment to female-led or black, brown, yellow founder founded companies, mm-hmm. um, or tax incentive programs for those types of companies that have very strict criteria around diversity. Those are ways also to, um, in my opinion, really think about how to uh, help the VCs do their job better. Yeah. Because it is a lot of work, um, or they say that it's a lot of work to find um, these founders and invest in these founders. Whether that's true or not, I'm not quite sure, but I, I don't know if I dis- that I agree with that. But well, um, what I think it is, it's a lot of work if you're not really interested in it. Because right. when you're interested in it, it's yes, you have to put your en- time and energy in it, but you will find it. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's um, they don't see the reward enough to warrant that extra work. Yeah. So we need to increase the reward in the ways that they care about, which is all economic. So that's uh, that's how I think um, uh, the most the strongest way to really yeah. be convincing. Um, so what I'm trying to do in that respect is one bring this up as a as potential solution, mm-hmm. point to other areas, countries that have done it successfully with other sort of goals in mind, such as innovation or high growth companies, um, and then also speak to the right uh, policy making channels about it. Um, so I spoke at the innovation summit recently to European Parliament, brought these ideas to the table, and so that's sort of in my mind the first step towards mm-hmm. bringing this as uh, these as potential solutions to consider at uh, at a more um, governmental level. Super interesting. Can you shortly also explain what an angel investor? Entails. It's so it's uh, typically an individual who's investing in startups that are usually very early stage. Um, so a lot of times, an angel investor—I'm not sure where the t- term angel comes from—but it's essentially a first investor in a company in most cases. Um, so in my experience in uh, in angel investing, that could either be that first check mm-hmm. that you and maybe some of their friends or family are, are giving to a founder to launch their and develop the MVP version of their product. I also uh, consider angel investing um, up to seed level, which can be you know to two to three million, depending on what region you're mm-hmm. in. Um, and in those cases, it's less about the money and it's more about the advice and the expertise and the network that you could bring to the founder. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's for, uh, as an angel, you typically, here in the Netherlands, most people are investing uh, up to 50K mm-hmm. um, and then doing that for a lot of different companies and sort of yeah. spreading it around and mm-hmm. um, investing in uh, either a profile of founder that they really uh, find compelling and personally resonant, or a specific industry uh, or product type? I think uh, the numbers are saying that female entrepreneurships or female entrepreneurs have been hit harder by COVID-19 mm. um, than male entrepreneurs. 
how do we level the playing field for the future? That's, um, yeah, it's a really interesting question that you bring. Um, so I think one of the reasons why uh, female entrepreneurs have had a tougher time, or at least a st statistic that I have seen, is that um, female-founded companies typically do more with less. Mm -hmm. So meaning they have a smaller team, they have fewer resources in terms of budget. Um, so if you're already operating with a pretty slim margin in terms of runway or amount of time that you have basically until your money runs out, um, or if your team is quite small, any sort of in these really high-pressure moments where uh, your business might be really adversely re uh, affected potentially by COVID because you're working in a space that um, perhaps your clients are mostly um, physical retail stores, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, then you, any sort of hit will really exponentially hurt you because um, you don't have as much cash in the bank to get you through those moments. Or if you're working with a smaller team, one to two of those key team members gets sick or decides to, you know, reprioritize and do something different, then your operations are also really heavily impacted. So those are the statistics that I have heard in terms of, you know, mm -hmm. demonstrating that female entrepreneurs are having a harder time. Your advocacy for more leadership roles for minorities is incredible. Um, how do we encourage other people from positions of privilege to use it to lift others up? Um, I think, you know, part of it is the first step, opening your network up. So um, what I hear a lot of times is not necessarily that people are against bringing a broader profile into their company. The What I hear the most often is, well, where do I find female candidates? Where do I find ethnic minority candidates. Um, and I think the first step is if you can already start building relationships with uh, with folks who don't necessarily look like you and don't have the same culture as you, that's going to make it feel much more accessible. That's going to broaden your network. And that's going to be the best way to facilitate you know, those, those connections. Um, so that's, to me, a, a great, simple first step towards um, uh, you know, understanding that it's that it's not a, it shouldn't be something scary to try to do. It's, it's not something to be defensive about. It's simply bringing more perspective to your team that's different. So let's make sure that people on our team are also reflecting the folks that we're trying to uh, trying to market to, uh, and sell our product to. And so I think that's another way um, to rationalize why it's important to have a really diverse group of team uh, team members, and whether that's ethnicity, gender, uh, culture, mm -hmm. lifestyle, age, um, all of the, the having that well-rounded team is really going to bring all those different elements so that you can create the best product and sell that to people. Why are role models so important? It's uh, something that, um, that's very subtle. Um, and I, I, I didn't really, I was not so conscious about the importance of role modeling until I was probably in university age. Um, but it's it, it helps you to set the path of what your future can become. If you see others that look like you, it helps you to envision and visualize where your life might lead you to and what the op options are for you. Um, and, you know, depending on where you live, 
part of your worldview will be determined by the the people in your neighborhood and um, and the people in your school. Um, so when you don't have, since I had that luxury of growing up with a lot of different people in my neighborhood, um, I realized that there were a lot of different paths that could be taken. If you're not in that same position, then it feels very limiting, I think. Um, so role modeling is is super important uh, in in helping you helping younger people to understand what their potential is and what opportunities lie ahead of them. You've received a ton of accolades for being one of the most inspiring women in tech and a role model. Um, and even this conversation, I get so inspired by you. Um, you. But what inspires you? In general, I'm really inspired actually by a lot of what's happening in the world today. So the Black Lives Matter movement was incredibly inspiring for mm -hmm. me. I, I'm, I, the funny thing is I don't... I wouldn't identify myself as black if I were living in the States. Mm -hmm. In the States, it's more nuanced in how you think about culture and how you self-identify. So, um, you know, I would be Hispanic or brown. Mm -hmm. um, but in the end, it still is a shared experience in the sense that people look at me and just see non-white. So mm -hmm. it's sort of, you know, you're black, you're brown, you're Asian or mm -hmm. some mix of all of it. It doesn't really matter. You're just not white. Mm -hmm. um, so that... For me, it really, um, I really empathized with a lot of the struggles and frustrations, um, and uh, it it was so inspiring to see so many different people coming together mm -hmm. and really voicing their frustrations, voicing their, you know, hopes for change. And um, I get inspired by my kids and seeing how resilient they are in missing three vacations in a row because of corona, mm -hmm. not seeing their uh, their grandparents in the States because of corona, not seeing their friends. And they're still doing it. And um, I think that's really important at times like this is to find those nuggets that are uh, are giving you some sense of joy and inspiration and using that to sort of build from. What are your goals for the future? Having impact, if I can summarize it. Yeah. To, to be able to have impact um, personally with my own professional goals mm -hmm. and more broadly in, in society to have a, a sort of longer lasting um, footprint than my own. Well, I think your vision is there and you're taking action as well. So, Trying uh, to. There's a lot time to do. Will, uh, time will... <laughs> Tell, but uh, I think uh, there's a lot of positivity uh, ahead on your road. I hope so, yeah. Christina, thank you very much for uh, being our guest. Thank really you. Really appreciate it. I think you're a true inspiration and a thank role model you. yourself. Thank you. Um, and I hope uh, I hope we can, with sharing your story, inspire others. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, your own story and in, in launching We Are Do Free, really uh, ambitious and exciting to see what you guys are working on. So thank you for including me in the series. Thanks for listening to Perspectives by We Are Do Free. Please leave a review. And if you'd like to hear more from us, click the link to subscribe and stay up to date with all the latest content. There will be more from us coming soon. Thank you.